Can we? Yeah, there we go. Good deal. Let's have a word of prayer real quick. Lord, we just uh, thank you so much for the truth we uh, just are able to sing about in that song, Lord, that that our boast is in you, um, our sufficiency is in you, and uh, Lord, you've just been so good to us by uh, shedding your blood for us, although we did not deserve it, although we are uh, depraved, Lord, in your eyes, in our natural condition. We are so thankful for the work of Christ, um, who just came to, to save us from our sins, to bear uh, the, the penalty and the weight of our guilt. And so uh, we just thank you and praise you for that. I ask that you will give us just ears to hear this morning. Lord, give me words to speak that would honor you and glorify you, Lord. And may uh, your church be encouraged. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, it's my privilege to be able to speak to you guys this morning. Um, I was told a couple weeks ago that I was going to be needing to preach, and uh, as my dad and mom are off to Arizona, so I've been very excited about the opportunity, and it's, uh, it's wonderful to be able to preach to you guys. Uh, me, me and my wife have been here for three months now, and we've gotten to know quite a few of you guys, and uh, you guys are just a really sweet group of people. We've been really encouraged by the relationships that we have been able to build so far, and so it's a, it's a great privilege to be able to speak to you guys and uh, definitely humbled by the opportunity. Um, so, so we are, I'm just, I'm just very excited about this. My parents made it to Nashville last night. They made it there safely. And so the goal today, I think, is to make it to Memphis. And as far as I know right now, they're awake. <laughs> and that's about all I know. <laughs> they might be on the road. I'm not sure. Um, if not, I'm sure they'll be there uh, on the road here soon, so um, if you guys could just keep praying for them. I know they've been very encouraged by the way you guys have lifted them up in prayer and supported them uh, in just so many ways, and they have uh, just seen, seen the, the hand of the Lord at work through you guys, so um, very cool, so <laughs> not cool, <laughs> didn't want to cry this morning. So anyways, so what, I, what we'll do this morning, we'll be in John 13. And if you guys have your Bibles, that's where we will be uh, turning to. And I want to open up this morning just by asking you guys a question. And I was trying to think of the best way to phrase this question. And, and this is what I came up with. Uh, what, what would you do if God appeared to you in a burning bush and told you that tomorrow night a chariot of fire would come to pick you up and take you to heaven? Right, what would you do? That, that would be great news. I imagine some of us would be very excited about it. Right? It would be interesting to see a burning bush for sure. But, but I guess uh, what I specifically am asking is, what would you do to make your last day fruitful for the kingdom of God? What would you do to, to be fruitful on your last day here on earth for God's kingdom? No doubt there are many options of things we could choose from. Uh, for some of you, you may think, well, I've been working uh, for a gospel opportunity in this person's life, so I'm going to spend my last day, I'm going to make sure that this person hears the gospel. Or, or for some of you, maybe you think to yourself, well, Culpeper is a small town, 15,000, I'm going to share the gospel with everyone on my last day. And then perhaps others, maybe you would spend your last day in prayer, knowing that it is through prayer that God works, right? And that good things start with prayer. And so, 
What I want to do this morning is not necessarily tell you how you should spend your last day, should you find yourself in this situation, but what I want to do this morning is look at the way that Christ spent his last uh, day, and I guess you could say his last night here on earth, and by looking at the way Christ spent his last moments on earth, I want to remind you of how important it is for believers to be serving one another. That's the goal of my message this morning. Our Lord spent his last moments with his disciples serving them, and he taught them how to serve, among many other things. And it would therefore not be a stretch to say that service in the life of a believer is a very important thing that we should be about, right? And so today we're going to be in John 13, 1 through 17. You can turn there like I said. And the first thing I want to do this morning is take a look at what is happening in this passage and take a look at some of the things that John highlights that we're meant to see about what Jesus does, about what happens in this passage. And then I want to spend the rest of our time looking at what Christ means to teach us through his actions in this passage. So John 13 Starting in verse 1, we'll read through 11, and this is what the Word of God says. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, And that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who it was to to betray him, and that is why he said, not all of you are clean So let's start this morning by looking at some of the things that are happening in this passage. There's no doubt there's a lot of things going on here and a lot of moving parts to this account. And and there are certainly a lot of lessons that we could glean from looking at this passage. But this morning I want to focus on three things that we see here in this immediate uh, passage this morning. And the first thing we see is that the end is in sight for Jesus' earthly ministry. Hey, there we go, it turned on. There it is. The end is in sight for Jesus' earthly ministry. Again, look in verse 1. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own, he loved them to the end. So we see the end is in sight here. And again, if you look in verse 3, we find Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God, was going back to God, and he rose from supper. So, So John is making it very clear 
right? He says it twice that Jesus is about to cross the finish line of his earthly ministry. Now, you, you could say he's about to finish the work that he started when he came to this earth. Now, I, I don't know how many of you in here are runners, right? Some of you may enjoy that kind of suffering. Maybe you're a, you're a long uh, distance runner or maybe a casual treadmill user like myself, right? But if, if there's one thing I know about running, and that's that the finish line can't come soon enough. Right? I do not want to be running. And, and here we find Jesus, right? That's where we find Christ. The finish line is in sight. Right? He's got that last quarter mile or however long. It's actually probably quite a bit longer for him. But he is almost done And he had come down, our Lord had come down, he had been faithful to speak the words that the Father had given him. He he had been faithful to perform the signs that the Father had given him to perform, as we see in John especially. And, and, And now it was time for him to depart from this world, and this meant a couple things for our Lord. First of all, it meant that he's about to suffer an agonizing death. And we just sang about that. All of our sin was about to be laid upon him. He was about to be, as Isaiah puts it, pierced for our transgressions. He was about to be crushed for our iniquities. And upon him would be laid the punishment for us all. Right? The most undesirable part of our Lord's earthly ministry was right before him. Right? Undesirable, yes, because of the intense pain we know that Christ would suffer. But we know it was also undesirable because of the, the filth that he would, he would bear upon himself. Right? He was bearing the weight of our sin. He was, he, he was found the spotless lamb who was made filthy by our sin. And therefore he bore our wrath. So it meant that Jesus was about to suffer an agonizing death, but it also means that he was uh, even better, right? Better yet, exalted at the right hand of God, right? Because of the work Jesus was about to do, God himself would seat Jesus at his right hand and exalt him and give him the name that is above every name, both on heaven and on earth. Hebrews 1, 3 and 4, it tells us, After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Think about the joy that some of you had after you moved from northern Virginia to Culpeper. (laughs) Or California. Where's Taylor? California to Culpeper. Better yet, right? Right, that's a promotion. But Jesus here is about to experience the ultimate graduation, the ultimate, right, the ultimate um, upgrade, so to speak. He will, be, he will go from a lowly human, right, the form of the weakness of humanity, to being exalted at the very right hand of God the Father. So, so this is a very bittersweet moment for Jesus, right? The suffering is looming, but the exaltation is beyond that and it will be wonderful for him. Secondly, in this passage, we find that Jesus had loved his own who were in the world. And again, we get that from verse one. It says, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own 
who were in the world. He loved them to the end. And this is perhaps the part of the passage that's the most astonishing for me to think about in this section of John. It's that, it's that Christ here in his very last night with his disciples is demonstrating steadfast love and care for his disciples up until the very moment that he is betrayed. Right? Up until the very moment. In fact, you could think about John. Right? He wrote this book in the 90s AD, 50 years after all this happened. And he could look back and vividly, right, vividly remember that Jesus was loving him right before he was crucified. Right? Think about that. Think about what, after they realized what, what was going on, right? After Jesus was crucified and then exalted and then Pentecost happened and they, they learned exactly what happened when Jesus died on the cross, they, they were probably blown away, right? He was loving us right until he was crucified, astonishing. And and the striking thing about Jesus is that he doesn't spend his final moments in a way that we might be tempted to spend it. Right? Definitely looking to our own needs. We would say in our minds, well, I have an excuse to be a little bit selfish. I'm about to be crucified. Right? We would probably be panicking. We'd be, I mean, back then they knew very well what it meant to be crucified in that culture. They had seen it before. Right? But with Christ, he's not focused on himself. His his final moments were spent focusing on his disciples, loving them to the end. Right? You could even say that we find him being a good shepherd. John 10. Oh, my bad. There we go. John 10, 12. What does it say? He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not uh, own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. What does the hired hand do when the wolf is coming? Well, he flees. They are not his sheep. But Jesus demonstrates he is the good shepherd, even when the wolf is lurking, right? Even when the evil one is already at work in the heart of Judas Iscariot, he is loving his sheep to the end. And what John seems to be implying here about Christ loving his disciples in the end is that it means he's finishing the work that he began in them. That's what it means here, that Jesus loved his disciples to the end. He finished what he started in their lives. You could say that because he loved his own who were in the world, he completed the work that he started in them three years prior. He called each one of them individually. Right, some from the beach, some from tax booths. Right? And he patiently taught them, he instructed them, he rebuked them, he protected them. Right? He, was, he was gentle and lowly. That was his demeanor with his disciples. And here we find that because he loves them, he finishes the work that he started. Right? Our Lord was diligent to the end. He finished what he began I hope that you guys will ponder this, right? Ponder this example that Christ has given us and specifically ponder the endurance that Christ had in his earthly ministry, right? Ponder the way that he finished. How many things are we called to do in our Christian lives that require endurance, right? So so many things, right? I, I don't have kids yet, but I have observed how difficult it can be to raise kids, In fact, I was a youth pastor for seven years, and the glorious thing about being a youth pastor is that you can send them back. (laughs) 
right? You get them for Wednesday night, a couple hours, you get your fill, and then off you go, right? And so I know I've seen the struggle parents have raising kids. It is a marathon in many, in many ways. And I was always so glad to be able to send them home. But raising kids is a marathon. Or what about being married to a sinner, right? Being married to a sinner requires endurance. It's not always easy to be married to a sinful person. I wouldn't know, but my wife would. <laughs> she got the good end of the bargain, right? But, but sometimes... Right? Sometimes it can be difficult to be patient with the spouse and, and to do our role in marriage right, with a spouse and to continue doing it well day in and day out. And then there's the Christian life as a whole. Hebrews 11 says we are to look to Jesus, right? Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. The daily life of a Christian is difficult. We take the narrow way. Right? The way is hard that leads to eternal life according to Jesus. And so I challenge you guys to look to the example of Jesus that we see on this night. But there's actually more here. Right? I hope that you'll also find encouragement from Jesus loving his disciples to the end and the fact that he has not <clears throat> stopped loving his disciples to the end in this way. Right? That was not just something he did for a group of 12 disciples during one period of time 2,000 years ago. Right? Our, our God's love has been steadfast and enduring for his people of all time. David talked about it in the Psalms. How deep is your love, right? He talked about the steadfast love of God. The Apostle Paul, what does he say? He who began a good work in us will bring it to completion. This kind of love that we see on the last night with the disciples is the love that Christ still shows today. Thirdly, let's see here. There we go. Thirdly, we see in this passage a sobering expression of Christ's love. A sobering expression of Christ's love. Well, what did Christ do because he loved them to the end? What, what did his love compel him to do for these disciples? Well, John tells us that the love of Jesus compelled him to wash the feet of these disciples disciples. And, and that's not something we know much about today. It, it is not our custom to, to wash feet at the door whenever people come over. Right? I've been a little bit offended from those of you who have had us over to your house that you didn't wash our feet. Right? I'll just say that. I expect that. But back in the time of Christ, that's what you did because you walked around in sandals and you got the dirt on your feet and it was, it was actually a necessity back then in the time of Israel, in the time of Christ, to wash the feet of your guests and to offer them feet. And actually, if you didn't offer, offer water for the feet of your uh, guests, it was considered bad manners back in the time of Jesus. So it was a necessary part of Jewish culture, and actually it was a task that was reserved for the lowest of the low in society. Uh, one dictionary I found says that foot washing was regarded as so lowly a task that it could not be required of a Hebrew slave. It's very interesting. O only a Gentile slave could be required to wash feet because of how lowly of a task it was. Another dictionary I read, it says, as a sign of exceptional love, a disciple might wash a master's feet. Right? Maybe if a disciple was really impressed 
by his master, or maybe he was really moved by the way that the master was pouring into him, had shared his life with his student, and, and had mentored him and grew him to be good at his trade, maybe that disciple to show gratitude to his master would wash that master's feet. But it seems that even that was a very rare thing in Jewish culture. All in all, the task of foot washing was for the lowest of the low. And here in John 13, it's not a disciple who we find overwhelmed with love for a master, is it? No, we find a master who is overwhelmed with love for his disciples. Right? It's not James or John who's overwhelmed by the way Jesus taught them. It was not Peter who was overwhelmed by the way Jesus was patient with him and pulled him out of the water when his faith was small. No, it is Jesus who was overwhelmed by love for a group of disciples who did not even fully realize who he was. Leading up to the Last Supper, we know that there was a debate going on. Who will be the greatest in the kingdom of God? Who's going to sit at the right hand of Jesus? And, And these disciples didn't even believe Jesus when he told them he was going to be crucified. Told them three times in Matthew, and they They disregarded what he said. Then we find shortly after this meal, we will even find these disciples falling asleep right at the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus is trying to pray right before he is betrayed. And yet, here we have a master who is overwhelmed with love for these lowly people. John paints a very vivid picture for us of what Jesus does on that night, right? That Jesus laid aside his outer garments, he wrapped a towel around his waist and he dropped to his knees to handle the filthy feet of the disciples. Right? And, and John, the details that he adds, John here, he wants to paint a vivid picture for us. He wants us to be able to see in our minds exactly what Jesus looked like. And he specifically wants us to see that Jesus didn't just do the job of a servant. He took the form of a servant while he did it, did he not? Right? He looked like a servant. If you would have walked in that room while Jesus was washing the feet of the disciples, you would have looked at Jesus and said, he must be the household servant. Right? He must be the, the household servant. He had stripped his garments and, and he was washing the feet. You would have seen a bunch of men sitting at a table while a servant was busy dirtying himself with their feet. You would have thought that these men were the men of authority and that, and that Jesus was the humble servant. You you never would have known that this man washing feet was the master, and you certainly would not have had any idea that that man was the creator of the world. But Jesus, for a short time, separated himself from his true identity to serve the disciples. And he did this because he loved them to the end. Right? And so in this way, Jesus went around to each disciple and washed each of their feet, including the betrayer, And we see a sobering expression of Christ's love, even when the evil one was looming, right? 
And so this is, this is what we find. This is, what, this is the picture that John paints for us in this first half of the passage. And, and on the night of betrayal, of the betrayal, Jesus is found washing the feet of the disciples. And there, like I said, there are many lessons that we could draw from this and many directions that we could take this sermon. But Jesus has one thing in particular that he is trying to drive home to his disciples. And that is specifically... He wants them to understand the importance of service in the life of a believer. Right? Jesus wishes to illustrate how important it is that we as believers serve one another. Look at verses 12 through 17. The word of God says, When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your, te- your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. One of the things that I've learned in youth ministry is something that I've already known, but I guess I was reminded of over and over again in youth ministry, and that is that teen boys make horrible bathroom cleaners. And I should know that, but I really knew that after youth ministry. We, we, we used to have, uh, we, we would go to a camp, and we would have to clean the camp after we got done. And so the girls would always have to clean their cabin, and they did a great job because they're girls. And then the guy's bathhouse, I always used to drag going to check the guy's bathhouse uh, on the last day of camp. And, and so one of the things that I learned is that you not only have to verbally tell them what to do in the bathroom, but you have to illustrate it for them and give them a little example. And then after you illustrate it, you have to step back and say, okay, do you see what I've just done? Let me explain it to you one more time, just in case you don't understand what just happened. And that was a regular thing, six years, every year. And, and so you really kind of had to interpret your actions as you did them. See here, look, look what I'm doing. I'm sweeping every pebble, or dust, or whatever you might, right, whatever's there. And that's kind of what we find Jesus doing here. Right? After he washes the feet of the disciples, Jesus is pointing out what just happened and really explaining, this, this is what I have just done to you. Listen up, right? Listen to what I'm about to say. And so that's why we find Jesus in verse 12. He asks the disciples a question. He says, do you understand what I have done to you? Are you seeing, are you, is this registering, right? Did, he wants to make sure they get it. And what he wants them to understand is the statement that he just made with his actions about the importance of serving. Christ just made a, a very strong statement about its importance. He, he wants them to see the precedent that he just set with his actions. There were some strong ramifications from what he just did by washing their feet. He wasn't just saying it's a good thing for you to serve, right? Just listen up. It, it, this might be a good thing to do. No, that's not what he was doing. Jesus, by doing this, was laying necessity upon his disciples for all time to be willing to wash their brother's feet. 
So notice the absoluteness of Jesus' language here. There it is. So look at the language. He says, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. Again, verse 15, For I have given you an example that you should do as I have just done to you. Now you might be tempted to look at the word ought and think, well, ought just means it's a strong suggestion. Right? But, but it's, that's how I've always viewed it. But in the Greek, the word means you're bound to do it. It's very interesting. It means that you are under obligation to do something. It's the word aphilete, I think. That's how you pronounce it. And it is much stronger than the way we use the word ought in our English vernacular. Um, I remember growing up, my dad used to say, you ought to go outside and mow the yard <laughs> before it rains. And I would say, okay. And I'd go back upstairs and play video games or something like that. And, and you know, because why, why would I do that? Well, because when you say you ought to do something in our language, that's just a strong suggestion. It's like, okay, you know, I'll take note of that, dad, but I'll get around to it when I get around to it, right? And, and so ought is something in our language you say when you should do something. Like, I ought to go work out today, but a nap sounds better. Or, I ought not to eat this cheesecake, but you only live once, right? But in, in Jewish culture, the word ought meant that you were bound to do something, and that's what Jesus is saying here. You are bound to serve one another. Uh, a little bit further on in the book of John, John 19.7, says, The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he had made himself the son of God. What's being communicated? Right? Jesus must die because the law says he must die. Right? We are bound by law to put this man to death. That is how this word is used. And so his words, Jesus' words, place strong necessity upon the believer to serve. But also notice the, the explanation that Jesus gives here. Right? We, we, have a, we have a very strong explanation here. Jesus doesn't just say, you ought to serve and then leave it there. Jesus gives us a bulletproof reason why you ought to be willing to serve. Right? He gives us a very good reason. Verse 12 says, Jesus put on his outer garments and resumed his place. And notice his explanation. In verse 13 he says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought also wash one another's feet. Now, there were many things the disciples got wrong during Jesus' earthly ministry, and perhaps most noteworthy, right, is when, or at least my favorite, not the most noteworthy, but one of my favorites that they got wrong was when Jesus had just fed 5,000 people. Right? The disciples had seen Jesus do this work, and then a little bit later on, they started to worry about where they were going to get bread. Right? It's like, speaking, I think Jesus says, beware the leaven of the Pharisees. And the disciples are like, yeah, where are we going to get bread from? Right? They, they were very slow sometimes, but here, Jesus says, this is one of the few things that the disciples got right. He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are not wrong about that. Right? This is something that you got right. I am your teacher and Lord, and you have said this rightly. But the truth is, the disciples did not realize exactly the weight of what they had just acknowledged. 
Yes, he was a good teacher, right? He was skilled in using parables and pictures to communicate his points. He, he was a very good Jewish rabbi, right? He would have been acknowledged as being a good teacher, but what they didn't recognize is that Jesus was the supreme teacher, right? By him, all things were created, and by him, all things hold together. And so, yeah, Jesus was the teacher. But furthermore, it's very clear that the disciples did not understand the reason why Jesus was to be called Lord as well. For those of you who know the book of John, you know just one chapter later, Philip will say, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. Right? They still didn't understand who Jesus was. What does Jesus say? Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? They called him teacher and Lord, and they knew to some extent that Jesus was teacher and Lord. But they did not yet fully grasp who it was that had just washed their feet. Right? But nevertheless, here's Jesus' argument. Jesus says, if I am your Lord and teacher, right, the one of authority, if I am the one that you call teacher and Lord, if I wash your feet, what does that mean for you? And what does that mean? What, what, what should you be doing then? And, and notice what he calls the disciples in, ver, in verse 16. He doesn't call them disciples. He doesn't call them fishermen. He calls them servants and messengers. Right, so if I, the master, wash your feet, what should the servants and the messengers be doing? Right, look, uh, uh, understand that in the kingdom of God, right, the 12 disciples as well as those of us who live today, we are all servants and messengers of the king. Right, that, that is our identity as believers. We are all on the same level of authority, right? And, and we're all of the same rank and we are all servants. And we find this idea in Paul's writings, right? 1 Corinthians, Paul says, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ. Then in 2 Corinthians, Paul calls himself an ambassador of Christ. We are only servants and messengers of Christ. And this is true of the apostle Paul, who was great and did great things for the kingdom of God. This is true of us as well. It does not matter your position in society. It does not matter how many people we have led to Christ or how many people we've discipled or how much we know, right? We are all servants and messengers if we are disciples of Christ. And so Jesus tells us in John 13, if the master is willing to humble himself and to wash feet, then how much more should the servant be willing to handle dirty feet and to serve? Right? If the great I am is willing to wash feet, and if the word made flesh is willing to wash feet, and if the one who is one with the Father and knows all that the Father is doing is willing to wash feet, then what does that mean for his servants? Right? And what does that mean for us? who have had our feet washed by Christ. Right? Understand, when Jesus washed the feet of the disciples, he was doing more than just washing 24 dirty feet. Right? He, he, Jesus here is showing us what he did for all of us by dying for our sins. 
Right? This is a picture of what Christ did when he came down to earth. He was showing us what it was like for him to lay aside his garments of glory and stoop down to become a human being and to take on our filth so that we could walk away clean. Right? For, Jesus, uh, for Jesus to take away our sin, he had to get dirty. Right? He had to become lowly. He had to get face-to-face with feet so to speak, and get dirty and get our filth all over him while we were able to walk away clean, right? And so when we see him washing feet in this chapter, when we see this beautiful picture of Christ humbling himself, understand we should see ourselves sitting at the table where the disciples were because that's what he did for us when he came to this earth. So again, I'll ask if Jesus was willing to wash our feet and to, and to reach out and handle our filth, then how much more ought we to be willing to wash the feet of our brothers and sisters, right? And, and humbly serve our brothers and sisters. It's definitely something that we need to ponder as believers, that no act of service should be out of our wheelhouse when we see our brother in need, right? Whether it's raking leaves or going into the crawl space to do dirty work, right? Cannot stay in the crawl space. Shoveling snow, working in the nursery, babysitting kids. We, we must be willing to humble ourselves and to wash one another's feet and do lowly jobs for the good of our brother and sister. Nothing ought to be too high for us to do, right? There, there should be nothing where we would say, I, I am above that, right? Because think about who Christ was when he washed his disciples' feet. Philippians 2 says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Right, this is the mind that we must have. One, one might be tempted to say, well, I've done my years of service. Right, I'm, I don't know. I, I'm old enough now that I shouldn't have to do the low jobs. Right, or, or another might be tempted to say, well, you know, no one, no one really serves me, so why should I serve other people in the body of Christ? Right? They don't really look out for me. Then again, one might be tempted to think, well, that person doesn't really deserve my service. That that person, he's hard to get along with. They really don't get along with anyone. Why should I wash that person's feet? But all of these excuses get silenced when we see our Lord at the feet of his disciples, don't they? Right? None of these excuses hold water when we see the king of the universe doing the job of a lowly servant. Jesus ends this passage this morning by saying, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And so in the same way, I want to end this morning simply by pointing out that there is blessing for the one who learns to serve and learns to serve his brother or sister in Christ. Understand, Jesus lays necessity on us to serve, yes. But he doesn't do it just because he's harsh. He does it because he knows there is blessing in service. Right? If we don't serve, we are missing out on blessing. The word blessed is the Greek word makarios, which means spiritually happy or prosperous. Or you could even say fortunate. I actually listened to a sermon this week where the, the pastor went through the Beatitudes 
And he translated the word blessed as congratulations, right? Congratulations if you are poor in spirit and congratulations if you mourn. The interesting thing about this word is that we find it in places that are surprising, right? Is it truly blessed to mourn? Or is it truly blessed when, when people persecute you? Is it really, should I really be filled with joy when people revile me and persecute me? Right, that happens a lot in scripture and here is no different. I understand that it is blessed to serve. Right, it is, is a blessing to serve your brothers and sisters in Christ. So, so many things to be thankful for this morning, especially in this passage, is, is a beautiful picture of the way Christ humbled himself and I hope that his example will encourage you to, uh, to serve your brother and sister and just to be thankful for the way he has washed our feet. So let's have a word of prayer. Our Lord, we just uh, thank you again this morning for uh, just the expression of humility that we see uh, on, on the night of the Last Supper, Lord. Uh, we, just, we just thank you and praise you that you humbled yourself and that you served us and that you uh, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Uh, Lord, you, um, you emptied yourself completely and you had to, for if you were to remember your identity, you would not have done that. But we are just so thankful that you did and that you did serve us. Lord, just please move us by that example and please... Uh, move our hearts with gratitude so that we may be willing to serve and willing to do even the lowliest of tasks for our brothers and sisters who you have bought with your blood. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for your sacrifice and for your great love that is steadfast even today. Just, we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.